Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. people. Welcome back. This is a, uh, a double dose of, of Sacred City Vision Drip for this week. We're doing two. Look at that. I'm such an overachiever. Second podcast of this week. And this one's a little bit time sensitive uh, in the sense that I want to use my sermon from Sunday as a, uh, a launch pad to get into uh, some, some stuff that I want to talk about. Um, and, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to the sermon, stop here, go back, you can find it on our, you know, find it on our YouTube. You can find it, Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you find, wherever you found this podcast, you can find it there. Uh, if you go to S- sacred city, Moline sermons, uh, and, and, uh, give it a listen. If you, if you did listen, let me just give you a 30, 30 second recap of the sermon. Um, one point one, you're a missionary point two, uh, God is using you to advance his kingdom. Uh, Point three is the engine of this missional movement. Um, The the engine of the missionary is a heart of joy. And ultimately, the heart of joy is produced in the gospel. And and so um, I shared this quote, and I'm actually going to share it again because it's so good. Um, a quote from Leslie Newbegin um, in his, his book, The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society. I read this book a couple years ago, and it, one, it's not an easy book to read, but it, it's such a delight to read because you will stumble across gems like this in the midst of, of that, that um, book. And dude, this changed, this changed my, the paradigm that I was operating from for, for mission. I I always had this mindset of, well, you know, I love Jesus and I love to worship Jesus and I want my life to reflect, uh, the glory of the Lord and and all the stuff. But the things that don't naturally come naturally for me, uh, I would probably say like evangelism. It's like mission doesn't come naturally for me. I, I would rather, um, you know, do community stuff, like talk with other Christians and and go deep in our faith together and, and build that. But you know, that's really one I, I have felt um, for a long time that's been one of my weak, weak points. And because it's a weak point it's in my life, um, then I feel like it has to be some sort of duty or obligation. And man, I was going at it the wrong way. I wasn't seeing this thing right. And uh, Mr. Newbigin here certainly helps helps me um, frame this up more more biblically, more correctly, um, and in a way that's actually been really productive 
uh, in my life as a missionary. I, I, I feel like since I've wrestled with this, and actually it wasn't just this passage, but um, but even just being part of Sacred City Church where mis- gospel community mission, you know, I've been around Sacred City, uh, this, this mission, this DNA for the last 11 years. Um, and, and it's really had an effect on me on how I view mission. Um, it's changed me in a lot of ways where, where even when I was selling TVs and cars back at, um, well, Target and, and the car dealership respectively, I was thinking like a missionary there. When I go to the gym, I'm thinking like a missionary in recent, you know, even in recent months, um, and years, I've, I've seen a lot of really, you know, I, I haven't seen, um, a ton of people like come to faith, but in these missional efforts, I've, I've built relationships with people. I've established some kind of rapport and, and sort of a um, just, you know, like people people can, a, a reliability, I guess, of, of, hey, I'm here if you need me. I want to help you. I want to bless you. I want to serve you. And we've had lots of relationships um, with people like that. But then just also sharing the gospel with people. And I've had some some of like the most exciting and encouraging moments of sharing the gospel with people like after we finish a workout or, you know, or something along those lines where it's like totally off the wall, unplanned. And this person sort of just opens up and talks about something or says, you know, Hey, I know that you go to church or I know you're a pastor. Um, what do you think about this? And it's just been some incredible opportunities. Um, and I've been able to step into those, uh, with a lot of excitement, a lot of joy. Um, and, and so this, this quote that Leslie Newbegin has here, um, that I'll read, it really kind of like, it kind of frames up the shift that I experienced uh, in my thinking about mission from something of duty that I must do or I'm a bad Christian into something that I get to do, something that that is a, a product of the joy of my salvation welling up in my heart. So listen to this. This is what he says. Uh, and this is sort of a paraphrase. This is not a, a full, you know, just one long quote, but this is kind of pieced together just to make it uh, more concise. He says this. There has been a long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily as obedience to a command. It has been customary to speak of the missionary mandate. This way of putting the matter is certainly not without justification. So he's saying, listen, of course, Jesus says, go and make disciples. He gives us the command. Like, it it is a missionary mandate. And then he says this, and yet it seems to me that it misses the point. It tends to make the mission a burden rather than a joy, to make it part of the law rather than part of the gospel. Now, I think we've talked about this. I have to go back a little bit to think through this, but I'm pretty sure, um, yeah, I know I did. I talked about this um, in in regards to parenting, I think, uh, about law and gospel. Um, But this is really, really important for us to understand as Christians, and I think we covered this in our, our Sacred City Covenant membership class, talking about true preaching presents both law and gospel. Law in the sense of here's what God commands. Here's here's what the standard is, um, which is, is you know, obedience. We're, we're requi- required to obey that. Um, but guess what? We can't. We, we, we have bent and warped hearts that make it hard to do that. Our loves are disordered. Therefore, our obedience um, rather easily becomes disobedience. And, and if God just wanted to like walk away from us at that point, he certainly could. But the good news that we champion here at Sacred City Church and every gospel preaching church is that there's a gospel, there's good news, um, that Jesus came and died in the place of sinners and that we could receive his righteousness so we'd be brought in the family of God. And so it's like that good news, it's the gospel piece. So there's law and gospel. And then I would say, then the gospel changes how we then relate to the law. So now it's 
Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. So it's it's not me who's trying to muster up obedience, but whatever obedience comes out of me is a product of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is the new man that's been made alive in Christ. And that which is not yet caught up with obedience to Christ uh, is part of the old man that needs to be put to death and then and brought to, to conformity to the word of God. And so what Leslie Newbegin here says, it, it looks like we, we have this tendency to make mission. And what I mean by mission is like sharing the gospel in in with word and in deed, um, sharing the gospel, actually speaking about Jesus and actually demonstrating what the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and we tend to look at this as a duty that we were, we're bound to. Um, and we, we've got a certain quota to hit that God would be, you know, moderately okay with us or moderately pleased with how we're living. But instead he's saying, look, I don't think it's helpful to put mission in the category of law and command, though Jesus does command it, but rather to think of it through the lens of the gospel, the good news. Because of the good news, it quickens my feet to run and share that good news. And he goes on. He says, um, if anyone looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets another impression. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive, this is the good news, is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? Now, this is what's crazy to me, is because we, we have this tendency to, to get so accustomed and familiarized or, or, or like acclimated to the, the gospel and some of its like just radical sort of absurdity that... that, that what we're claiming is that God put on flesh and he lived a perfect life and then he decided he died a death that that sinners deserved to die and then in that there's a great exchange and, and so what he in his death now I come alive in his resurrection I'm now made alive and, and so this this sort of like crazy gospel we forget how crazy it is and we forget how such how, like how great of news it is uh, that that we are okay uh, keeping our mouth sealed about it. We're, it's like a secret that we're okay with keeping, which in reality, when when you find something so beautiful and compelling, when you find something that just does something in your soul, um, it, it impacts you in a profound way, like you're not going to be quiet about it. You know what I mean? It, you're going to go talking about it. And now one of the one, a great uh, illustration of this is like CrossFit people. If you've been around CrossFit people, look, and I'm a CrossFit per, CrossFit person, and so I can say this, and so a little bit self self deprecation here. Um, but one of the things that you know about CrossFit people is that they always talk about CrossFit, right? Um, now, part of this is it's because they've had a, a unique experience with this CrossFit movement, this fitness sort of uh, philosophy. Maybe they've seen good results in, in their fitness and, and health life. Maybe they've just found themselves in a community that they really enjoy to be part of, or just the 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 uh, joy of, of being challenged week in or day in and day out, right? So they find something like CrossFit that stimulates them, that makes them excited, that, that, that they just kind of latch onto. And guess what? They talk about it. And you just, with CrossFitters, you can't get them to stop. In fact, the gym that I go to has a, uh, it's like a parody sign of, uh, it's like the Fight Club logo, uh, you know, the movie Fight Club with, uh, it says the first, the phrase in, in, in the movie is the first rule of Fight Club is we don't talk about Fight Club. Well, this one's a parody in the sense it says the first rule of CrossFit is we always talk about CrossFit. So there's a little bit of truth to that. Now, the same thing goes for if you find a restaurant. Um, in, the, in the quad cities that you love. Um, 
my favorite restaurant in the Quad Cities, I'm going to do a little plug uh, for, for a friend of mine, is, uh, is Duck City. Duck City Bistro, downtown Davenport. Man, some of the most exquisite food I've ever had. Anytime anybody's talking about good food in the Quad Cities, I'm always talking about Duck City because it's such great food. Now, I can't go there every week, can't afford that. But you know what? If I had that extra coin, I definitely would be there every week. But those so it just makes those, those special occasions that much more special. Um, but we just talk about the stuff that we love, uh, whether it be football or, or, you know, right now I'm on a formula one kick. So I'm talking about formula one a lot. Um, you know, whatever it is, you want to talk about fingernails or I don't know, whatever ladies like to talk about, talk about, um, homeschooling stuff. You know, you talk about what you love. That's just what happens. You're not silent about it. So you, you, you love Jesus. You love what God has done for you in the person and work of Christ. How could we possibly be silent here? Now, he keeps going on here. I keep interrupting him, which, you know, maybe it's worth going back and um, reading this whole thing in full. Um, but he keeps going on. He says, the mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like a follow. So he already said, hey, mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. I think he's thinking in, in terms of like nuclear fallout. Uh, the mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like a fallout, which is not lethal, but life-giving. One searches in vain throughout the letters of St. Paul to find any suggestion that he anywhere lays it on the conscience of his reader that they ought to be active in mission. Now, why is that? I just told you, because they're excited about what Jesus has done. For Paul himself... It is, an incon- it is inconceivable that he should be kept silent. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9.16. But nowhere do we find the Apostle Paul telling his readers that they have a duty to do so. At the heart of mission is thanksgiving and praise. When it is true, it is to its nature, it is so to the end. Mission is an acted out doxology. Mission is worship. That is its deepest secret. Its purpose is that God may be glorified. So here, here we have what, what Leslie Newbegin pinpoints as the, the, the motor, the engine that, that propels the mission of God forward, and it's joy. That, that, that to me was a profound shift uh, in my mindset about this. And, and it really caused me to examine myself. And, and every, I go through seasons where I'm thinking through this of, of, of asking myself the question. Actually, this is part of my solitude retreat. I've got a little, uh, little, um, worksheet that I work through every, you know, six or seven weeks that I get able to get away for a little bit. But one of the questions on this list is, how's my joy? Am I finding joy in the Lord? Am I am I seeing what He's put before me? Am I am I savoring Christ and His gospel? Um, and, and so that that's a question that I want to propose to you. If if you find yourself struggling with mission, I just want to ask you: How's your joy? Are are you delighting in the Lord? Does does Jesus just fill you up with a warmth and excitement? And if He doesn't. If you're not necessarily feeling that, and that's the thing about joy, it's not just it's not just a feeling, right? Um, there's there's something joy is like a uh, it's like a buoy. Um, it 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 can be storming outside, 
um, out, out on the ocean, waves toppling over it, and and every by every stretch of, of the imagination, it's like the happiness. Um, it's just it's just cloudy and gloomy, and, and happiness is not necessarily present. But joy is like a buoy that sort of just stays there through it all. It doesn't go anywhere. The waves might cover it up for a second, but then it pops right back up. And that's the kind of joy, that's sort of the unsinkable joy that we have to have as Christians. Um, and so I want to ask you, how's your joy? Uh, are you are you delighting in the Lord? Now, the next question is, if it's yes, I do find myself to be a joyful person. I was like, right on, cool. Let, let, let's share that joy. Um, share that joy in mission. Share that joy with your missional community family. Um, you know, let, let, let joy be unleashed and, and, and see the mission of God move forward in your midst. Um, but for those of us who maybe don't necessarily feel like we have uh, the, the maximum amount of, of joy or, you know, or even close to feeling full of joy, um, I want to ask two follow-up questions then. Is one, what is robbing you of joy? Well, what's stealing your joy right now? What is it? Uh, are you finding yourself anxious are you finding yourself fearful of something that's going on? Um, are you in the midst of some kind of conflict with maybe it's, it's your spouse or maybe it's within your mission community family or or someone at, at work? Um, are, are you finding that these things are, are stealing joy from you or, or at least putting some sort of limit or some sort of governor on your joy? Um, well, maybe it's bitterness. You, you just have this deep-rooted bitterness that it's just kind of nagging at you and whether it's toward a specific person or a specific people group or a specific instance, you just have this bitterness that keeps going on and droning on. And it just like, it sucks away, uh, the joy. Maybe you're just like sensing apathy, right? Um, you, the thing that's stealing your joy is just feeling black. And, and you've, you've got to do something. You can't just, you know, joy is not necessarily something that, that there's a magic concoction where um, you just sip a little bit and all of a sudden you go from zero to 100 um, in that regard. Like something has to be done. There's no, there's no EpiPen of joy that you can just like boom, instant injection that'll get you all filled up. Um, so one of the things then first is to ask, like, what's stealing my joy? Identifying that thing and then taking it before the Lord and actually finding that the Lord knows how to deal with that, right? Jesus says, hey, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So if you're worked up, if you're feeling the burden of life just crushing you, go to Jesus. Let him take off that load from you so that you can experience the joy that he has for you. If you're, if you're feeling bound up in, in worry and, and anxiety and stress, right? Jesus invites you, cast your cares onto me for I care for you. Um, if you've got bitterness going on, man, you, you've got to figure out a way to deal with that. Otherwise, we'll, we'll bite and devour one another, or, or, or slowly your heart will get so calloused that, that you just are, are unable to um, connect with anybody, anything, and, and just become so cynical that that's just it's not a good spot to be. Um, and so ask the Lord, what, what, how can I... How can I remove some of these barriers to my joy? How can I, um, how can I, give myself more freely to to the pursuit of joy? And that's the next question: is joy is a fight, um, and and if joy is a fight, how can I fight for joy? What are the things 
that I can do in my daily life um, that will help me reclaim the joy of my salvation. Now, I took you to Psalm 51 on Sunday, um, sharing a little bit about uh, David's um, experience as he experiences God's forgiveness and his renewal um, through his grace. He, he talks about, I, I've, I've, um, he, he asked the Lord to restore to him the joy of his salvation and to renew his spirit that's within him. So he has this restorative um, mindset when it comes to experiencing God's grace. So, Lord, let me experience your grace in a deeper way, and then that's going to propel me into telling others about your grace and kindness. Um, and so the same thing happens with us. So, we, we, Lord, what would you please restore to me my joy? And, and and we don't have to sit around and wait for God to airdrop that joy. He gives us channels. Um, he gives us these conduits that that help stream in joy uh, deep into our hearts. So let, let me just walk you through. And none of these are going to be crazy, okay? None of these are crazy, brand new. Um, Sam just discovered this these these conduits for joy. That's not at all the case. Um, this this stuff is is historical. This stuff is biblical. This stuff is is rooted in Christian tradition. So let me just let me just here are ways that you can fight for joy. Number one, be in the Word of God. We've been talking about this all year long as we talk about a uh, feast to flourish. We're doing this chapter a day Bible reading plan, and, and man. If you want to fight for joy, one of the biggest things that's going to stand in the way of your joy are the lies that we tend to believe, the lies that we tend to believe about God, the lies that we tend to believe about ourselves, and the lies we tend to believe about other people. And what the Word of God does is it reforms our hearts and minds. Um, it, it changes them. It helps us to, it grounds us in the truth. And so if you're not grounded in the truth, you're not going to have joy, right? And the truth is this, that God loves you in an inexpressible kind of way, that God cares for you, he is for you, and, and we have to position ourselves in front of the word of God so that we will hear that, that good news washed over us day in and day out. That's the first way that you fight for joy, you get in your Bible. Number two, I'm going to just kind of lump a few things together. I'm going to say first is prayer and communion. So letting your Bible time sort of propel you into uh, a prayer time where you are actually, you're, you're pray, praying God's words back to him, that you're learning to commune with Jesus and sort of just meditate on his word. So more than just picking up the Bible and reading through whatever chapter that is, just soaking in it, um, marinating in that. Um, and, and praying through those things and, and in prayer, allowing Jesus to meet you and, and to be there with you. And he's going to hand deliver you joy. Um, and, and another piece of that is so there's that daily rhythm of prayer and communion with the Lord. But there's also times where, man, we should probably like unplug for, for a stretch of time. Maybe it's just for a couple hours. You're going to go off to a park, go up to Blackhawk Park or, you know, go out to Illina Wick or something. And you're going to sit out at a park bench and you're just going to have your Bible open, looking out at the river and you're going to be praying and, and asking Jesus just to show up, to be with you, to be present, feel, to feel his nearness, to hear, um, some of the, some of what he wants you to know about himself, about you, um, and having those times of solitude where where you're connecting with Jesus. Um, the third, the third way that you can fight for joy is by sabbathing. It's by coming to church on Sunday mornings. 
um, being present among the saints. There's something powerful that the Lord does, and it's some kind of miracle or some sort of some mystery where as, as God's people gather together, there is a way where he just kind of reinforces our spines. He fills our hearts in ways that, man, we can't really accomplish when we're by ourselves. Um, and so that there, it is key to practice Sabbathing, to being under underneath the word of God as it's preached, to receiving the sacraments, to doing um, the work of the people in the liturgy and singing songs that are meant to to uh, ground us in the truth and fill our hearts with with joy and celebration. We have to, if if we want to become uh, the, the the city's most joyful people, man, we we've got to learn to Sabbath well. And, and the other piece of this is is community. But we need to be able to press into community. Now, this one's kind of, I'm, I'm not going to have you look at this through rosy-colored lenses because at sometimes, man, community can be a struggle. There, there's difficulties that we face when we're sharing life together and, and the real me is rubbing up against the real you and, and, and my sin is in interacting with your sin and, and we're going to just have some some conflict to work through at some points, but the gospel is big and strong. It's able to, it tears down the dividing wall of hostility and, and, it, and it unifies us on the person and work of Jesus. But that, that's, that's maybe the hard part of community, but the joyful part, the, the life-giving part of community is having brothers and sisters who are going to pray for you, having brothers and sisters who are going to walk alongside of you. And so in those moments where you don't feel joyful, uh, in, the, in those moments where it's hard to believe the truth, you, you have people who are praying for you, who are encouraging you, who are continually pointing you back to Jesus. You need community. And so there is this sense that, that to, to um, pursue joy, to fight for joy, requires discipline. It, it requires an effort on our part that, that we would, as, as the Apostle Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, that you would train yourself for godliness. That, that's what all of these, these spiritual disciplines are for, is for training yourself in godliness. But listen, we have to understand this. Godliness and joyfulness are synonyms. Godliness and joyfulness are synonyms. The most godly people that you know will be the most joyful people you know. And the most joyful, truly joyful, not just this this phony baloney happiness kind of people, um, but true joy that is unsinkable are going to be the most godly people that you know. Joy and godliness are synonyms. And so if we're going to train ourselves in godliness, and we might as well say, hey, I need to train myself in joyfulness. And the reason why we can say that, that joyfulness and godliness are synonyms is because God is himself joy. It, we're, we're told in the Psalms that, that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, right? And we actually receive this invitation in Psalm 37. It says to delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this is a, a passage that prosperity gospel preachers often, you know, contort and use incorrectly where they say, hey, listen, if you delight yourself in God, if, if you do check all the boxes for God, man, he's going to give you that Lamborghini that you're wanting or that, that you know, million-dollar home that you've always been wanting to have. No, 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 that's not the case at all. What the psalmist is saying is delight yourself in the Lord. So fix your heart on the Lord, fix your gaze upon him, and he will give you himself. It, it's almost it's a promise, guys. It's a promise that when you fix yourself on the Lord, when you attach your heart to the Lord, he is going to pour out joy and love to you in an unceasing manner. 
And so let me just say this. This is what's going to be what, what motivates our church for, for mission, is having that kind of joy, is receiving that kind of love, that kind of, uh, of joy from, the, from our Father in heaven and taking that out into the world. And so let me, uh, let me just recap this by saying this. Number one, how's your joy? Are you finding yourself to be a joyful people? Number two, what's standing in the way of your door? Joy, your door, your joy. Um, How do you take that to the Lord? Number three, how are you fighting for joy? What do I need to do to actively seek out joy? And guess what? God will meet you in the fight. And so with that, I want to encourage you all to fight for joy as we uh, make our way to to the next Sabbath uh, day together. Um, and, and we give ourselves to this in a way that, that God will actually produce a, a joyful fruit, a, a fruit of godliness in this church for our good and for his glory. 